This is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. With the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines, the idea of returning to the office is becoming more of a reality, but it also raises questions. Will we be safe? How should we navigate lease negotiations? What will the office of the future look like? These are just a few of the questions we tackled in this episode, which is a recording of a live Q&A I did on rethinking the office. I spoke with Jim Paterno and Alan Giovanelli of Stockton Real Estate Advisors as part of FEI's Career and Connection in 2021 Forward Thinking series, sponsored by Robert Half Protivity. You'll learn more about the series in just a few minutes, including how to register for the remaining live Q&As. With that, here's the conversation. Welcome to FEI's Forward Thinking series. I'm Chris Wright, a managing director with Protivity, a global consulting company, and I'm also a member of the FEI. Protivity and our parent company, Robert Half, the world's first and largest specialized staffing firm, are longstanding supporters of FEI. We're excited to sponsor this innovative year-long series, where you'll get a front-row seat to discussions with finance and business leaders across industries, as they share how they're addressing key challenges in 2021 and also planning for the future. We hope these discussions will provide new perspectives and prompt new ideas. We welcome you to today's session on Rethinking the Office. The necessary shift to remote and hybrid work has forever changed how people view the concept of an office. I look forward to hearing from Alan and Jim as they share insights on how finance and business leaders are challenging traditional views of how and where work gets done, and they're also charting new paths forward. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Olivia. Thank you so much, Chris. I'd like to welcome our guests, Jim Paterno and Alan Giovanelli. Jim is the CEO at Stockton Real Estate Advisors, and Alan is a CPA and the Vice President at Stockton Real Estate Advisors. Jim and Alan, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Great to be here, Olivia. Thank you. Before we jump into the questions, let's start with our first polling question for the audience. So the first question is, are you currently 100% remote? Interesting. So nearly 60% are 100% remote. Jim, wondering your your reaction to that. Does this surprise you? It is a little bit interesting in that from our perspective in talking to our number of our clients and our tenants, we're seeing that the tenants themselves are showing up to the office at about a 70% rate, but the individuals within the offices, the employees, are anywhere from 15 to 25% in terms of their daily you know, attendance to the office. So Stockton is a Philadelphia-based firm, but we have a national reach, and that national reach is really driven by our clients. So we do a couple of different things. We are in the advisory business, so we're helping tenants and landlords kind of think about their occupancy uh, needs and, and how to address the shifting landscapes of the world as it relates to not only the pandemic, but all, all other economic influences. We've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months talking to those uh, groups about their workplace experiences. So a lot of what we'll talk about is informed by a pretty large swath of, of the United States. Yeah, thank you so much for that additional background and context. I think that's, that's very helpful. I'm going to jump in with my first question. It's for you, Jim. What are the major considerations for those looking to bring their workers back to the office if they've been remote for the last year or so? 
Yeah, so our tenants and clients range from startup to institutional and publicly traded companies, and there is a pretty wide perspective in that regard. But I would say that the the elements of coming back to the workplace are really rooted in a couple of different things. One, it's kind of the physical and mental health of their employees. Two is kind of the office cultural goals and how to navigate collaboration and onboarding and all of those types of things. Uh, and then you've got kind of the local and industry climate and the impact of technology and the accelerating nature of how work is being conducted. So those are the big influences and the big things that, that our clients and tenants are thinking about. From the physical and mental health element, there's a lot of employee anxiety and we all feel that anxiety ourselves. You know, many of us are in multi-generational households where we may have elder elderly parents or uh, siblings and we may have kids. And so that everyone has a different level of, of anxiety and perspective on mask wearing and hygiene and how to and conduct themselves in, in this world. You factor in the school element for younger kids and how to deal with uh, being home and balancing work and life and, and all of that. And that becomes a very significant mental health kind of component to the return to work. From a physical standpoint, of course, there's the anxiety about what does my workplace look like? What are the steps being taken to ensure my safety? That kind of starts at the public transit level. You know, that's not obviously something an, employ an employer can deal with, but that's the first step in anyone coming back to work. And so there's certainly an element of concern there. But as we look at the various levels of how to address bacteria and mold and, and allergens and all these things that are impacting health, and certainly COVID, you know, you have enhanced clone, uh, cleaning protocols as kind of the most basic level. You have increased ventilation wherever possible in the office building setting. You have then MERV filters and other filters which are really there to enhance the screening out of bacteria. And, you know, as we see older generation properties can't really accept some of these thicker, bigger filters, and there's a big impact on how much energy is utilized to push through these filters. So there's definitely a cost-benefit analysis to some of the things that that we think about. You know, beyond the MERV filters, you start to get into things like UV light, and that's a purification process, and bipolar ionization, which these are all things that we are exploring and looking at in the buildings that we, we own and manage. Uh, touchless entry and elevator access are more of those things. But again, these are every one of the things I've just mentioned are thought to improve the work environment, thought to increase the physical safety, and they do in their own way, but they all come at a cost and none of them are really tried and true and, and absolutely certain. You know, you've got the kind of the mental and physical health elements and the cultural items is really, really kind of geared towards how does a company collaborate, onboard, mentor, identify and cultivate leadership and really begin to feel as if they are, in fact, a true company as opposed to a band of disconnected individuals who are, you know, are working remotely. I'm glad that you pointed that out, the very unique challenge for leadership with maybe some people in the office, some people from home, some people doing a hybrid in the future. You brought up uh, air filtration systems, touchless entry, a few other things. What about the layout? Open floor plans have been all the rage for the past 
however many years. Do you think that those are going away? So it's interesting. The short answer is our tenants and clients really have no idea yet at this point. And the reason they have no idea is because of the work from home shift, because of things like hybrid opportunities or asynchronous work times, whether it's a nine to five shift, kind of shift work, even in the office, 24 seven, all of those things really need to be analyzed and assessed. And how is the technology acceleration going to impact all that before our clients really feel comfortable addressing open versus office layout or square foot per employee considerations? You know, in our office ourselves, we we kind of shifted from a heavily office environment a few years ago to more of an open collaborative environment, which really worked great. And as this started to unfold, we added some more pockets of private space and smaller spaces where people could isolate a little bit and, and have a little more privacy. And as we look at ourselves as a smaller company, and then we look at, say, a Comcast, which is Philadelphia based, Comcast has started to spread out started to use plexiglass and other methodologies of physical barriers, yet they don't want to make any kind of permanent decision at the moment because in September, when most of their employees will be returning in one fashion or another, they want to see what the lay of the land is as it relates to the pandemic. And do we all feel that COVID-related issues are easing? Is that the first of a series of pandemics that we're going to face? And so I think right now it's about technology. It's about How do we work remotely and understand that element? How do we deal with leadership issues and corporate culture? And once we feel like we're in a safer, better place, we'll start to really rethink the office configuration. Speaking of permanence, do you think the approach to office space has really changed forever because of COVID-19? Or do you think that things will snap back to prior practices or maybe slowly with time start to look more as as they did before the pandemic? We polled our, our tenants recently and with no exception, every single uh, decision maker has um, stated unequivocally the desire to get back to the office, the need to get back to the office, the need for not only the human connection and collaboration, but just the idea that without a place to assemble, congregate, celebrate, teach, there really isn't a a true company. And yes, there are some technology companies and others that are much more comfortable uh, with the concept of remote. But even our our high-tech companies, they actually have said that their corporate culture is suffering more than others because they had the Friday afternoon keggers, they had the free the lunches, they had reasons for their younger workforce to socialize and to go out after work and to stop at a bar or restaurant or to meet people and, and establish relationships that kind of extended beyond the office. And um, they're really, the technology companies are really struggling with how to replicate that. So much like we hear about revenge travel or revenge dining where everyone's going to just jump out there and and immediately start to travel and get out to dinner. There is this element of, especially in the city and, and walkable suburban locations, this real desire to get back to the office, get back to be with your colleagues and friends. Uh, maybe escape the house a little bit too and and really reestablish a human connection. So really critical. I do think there's going to be a snapback. I think it's going to be powerful. 
if we look at activity, though, right now, leasing activity generally in the country is down about 60 percent year over year. New York is almost 70 percent. San Francisco is over 50 percent. Sale activity is down almost 60 percent. So there's definitely, you know, a muted uh, environment at the moment. But that is really, I think, a moment in time that is going to be unleashed once people feel a little bit more comfortable. I would certainly welcome an escape from my home. I know anybody with kids definitely knows what we're talking about. Uh, I think this is a good time to move into our next polling question. Has the COVID-19 crisis caused you to renegotiate with your landlord or commercial property lender? Okay, so 70% said no. Maybe, Alan, you want to weigh in on this one. Give us your reaction. Office leases are typically five and 10-year commitments. So it's not surprising that only 20 or 30% of people are in a renewal or renegotiation mode. But it's a good time to think about it, especially if you're a credit tenant, you're stable, growing. You have a lot of power in the marketplace right now to uh, leverage your credit to get better terms or a lease extension, expansion. Historically, in weaker markets, better tenants look to relocate to better buildings at cheaper rents. And uh, we've seen that, particularly in Philadelphia, where there's always a flight from B quality to A quality. We're already seeing that in certain markets, uh, say in New York City, where tenants are, you know, the, the trophy buildings are being looked at and no one else is seeing any activity. Uh, certain markets are starting to snap back. On the West Coast, I believe San Francisco is starting to see some activity. D.C. seeing activity. But most markets, like Jim said, are still very quiet. How would you describe the state of stress that landlords and building owners are under right now? And how may it change in the coming months? Every owner right now is worried about their cash flow. Can they make their debt covenants payments, considering that they have additional costs for COVID that they have to absorb? Uh, They're also worried uh, about the quality of their rent rolls. Who's coming up for renewals? What's their exposure? to a, uh, a tenant uh, making an adverse decision to either not renew, relocate, or, or downsize, they're very concerned, especially in the office building category right now where no one knows if people are going to uh, downsize or, or just move out to suburban areas versus center city areas. They're talking to their banks, I'm sure, constantly. There is a very strong underlying current of fear and anxiety from office uh, owners in particular. When rollover is looming, you know, there's really a sense that the market hasn't been marked at all because of the lack of activity. So where rents should be and what type of deal should be struck is, is a real challenge for owners. And it, frankly, it puts tenants in an incredibly strong position right now to really ask for quite a bit. Uh, you know, for the owner, it's a kind of a zero-sum game. They either have a tenant or they don't. And to Alan's point, if if you're a tenant that's experiencing some growth, a company that's experiencing growth and stability, there is quite a bit of opportunity. There's also some opportunity in looking at acquiring some distressed assets, and we'll maybe talk, Alan will touch upon this in a couple of minutes, to leverage your tenancy and your strength to marry that with a distressed asset, acquire, move into that asset, stabilize it, and then be able to sell it as a sale lease back at an incredible multiple. So there is a huge opportunity to create a windfall for certain companies who are in a very strong position right now. Great point. 
this next question is for Alan. If you're a borrower or a tenant and you're having trouble with debt, how do you approach that discussion and put a proposal together um, with your lender? I've been a lender for 20 years and I've dealt with tenant credit issues uh, <laughs> for 20 years. Their number one question is, how strong is this tenant? You know, how strong is my borrower? They're very concerned about collecting their interest, getting paid off at maturity. And every office building right now is on a quasi watch list, uh, unless you're a AAA trophy building. If I'm a borrower and I, I'm having cash flow problems, first thing I would do is I try to understand what type of lender I have. Is it a typical bank? Or is it a CMBS lender, which many uh, tenants do not know the difference? CMBS debt is very complex. There's lots of different levels of ownership, a lot of conflicting interests, and uh, they, uh, in a workout, they are very unforgiving. And if your uh, lender is in that mode, you're, you're in for a, a tough time. If you're working with a bank and the bank facilities are typically more expensive, but you're really talking to a human being at the bank, you have a relationship. And uh, typically, if you have a good working relationship in history, the banks will work with you. Now, both groups right now are working with borrowers, but th their patience is starting to wear thin on certain classes. If I'm a borrower, I'm going to have to have a good explanation as to why the bank should work with me, where I see my company going, my business model, you know, what changes I'm making to react to COVID and, and to adapt to the marketplace, I have to have a compelling story to go to a bank or to a landlord, frankly, to ask for concessions or time for them to work with you. People who have well-thought-out business plans, reactive uh, plans, they're going to get much more cooperation from their lenders or their uh, landlords. People who just don't have a good story, they're going to pay the price for not being organized. All roads lead to having a good story, right? That's right. That makes a lot of Feels like a good time to jump into our, our next polling question. So do you expect to return to the office in the next year? Wow. So 80, nearly 86% said yes. Alan, does that surprise you? No, I, I believe the, uh, the country's finally uh, rolling out the COVID vaccines. And at this point, everyone's eager to get out of their houses and back to the office place. And Jim, did you have anything to add? I, I know based on what you said earlier, you, you probably tend to agree with Alan, right? Yeah, this is definitely kind of consistent with, you know, the comment about uh, revenge dining and revenge travel and the desire to get back to the office. And it's consistent with everything that our tenants have been telling us about the need to get back and reestablish corporate culture and, and uh, connectivity. Alan, another question for you. Let's say I'm a financial executive at a middle market company with a lease that's about to expire. What is the top issue, both from a space and financial perspective, that I have to keep in mind right now? Now, the number one question is, what are my space needs, considering the impact of COVID has had on my organization? Do I need more space or do I need to downsize, relocate staff? You know, what is the safety of the building? What is the building done, the owner, to uh, address uh, the health concerns of my employees? Also, is it time you know, to take advantage of the marketplace and relocate to a better building, better location? All those factors. Uh, it's a great time if you're a, uh, a credit tenant, a stable tenant. You will have a lot of options. 
and no one, as Jim said, no one knows what price the price reset is. Uh, so you're in a position to make uh, a lot of aggressive demands on the landlord to see where price sets. Not only are the landlords uh, having anxiety and fear um, about what the future holds, you know, notwithstanding the fact that everyone wants to come back to work, as we've just heard, but you know, a lot of a lot of what's been happening right now has kind of been artificially propped up between PPP money and other stimulus uh, initiatives and eviction uh, abeyances and all all those sorts of things. So, I mean, that spigot is going to stop. And so, not only are the landlords concerned with it, but then the, the lenders behind that are, are concerned. So to have that good story, to be ahead of the curve, to to be thoughtful and be sensitive to everyone's situation on the landlord and borrower's part, but to be aggressive at the same time is the right approach. I mean, there are plenty of sublease alternatives that that are out there. There's the you know combination of a co-working versus uh, your own corporate headquarters opportunity or a hub and spoke kind of design where you establish some smaller offices and closer to where people live. So there are so many different strategies that can begin to be employed. We have a ton of great questions from the audience that I'm looking forward to getting to. I want to do our last polling question before. If you do plan to return to the office in the near future, will you be in the same location as pre-COVID? So choose no if you will not be returning in the future. 85% 85% said yes. Jim, any reaction? As Alan said, there's a great opportunity to think about upgrading space or relocating to spaces. There is also a great opportunity to begin to stay in your space in kind of more bite-sized chunks. So as opposed to the 5, 7, 10, 20-year leases in the past, I think most landlords have been conditioned now and lenders too to start to accept two- to three-year extensions with a recognition that perhaps, you know, there's not going to be a large investment of capital on the landlord's part, does provide a great opportunity to help alleviate the landlord and the lender lender's anxiety by saying, okay, we're willing to commit to you on an aggressive rent, but we also want to only make that commitment on two, three-year horizons. It's interesting to see that most people want to stay, I think, uh, in their current location. I do think it provides other opportunities to negotiate very aggressively with that strategy in mind. Do you expect a significant number of bankruptcies um, or troubled debt restructurings by landlords in 2021? We are uh, expecting to have the the current stress turned into distress. Um, In fact, Alan can speak to the initiative that we are undertaking in that regard. There are certainly class B and C properties that given the quality of their tenancy and the fact that some of those tenants don't exist any longer or are on the cusp of failing are going to experience real cash flow issues and an inability to cover their their debt service. We are actually engaged right now with a warehouse and distribution client whose landlord filed for personal bankruptcy. And there's a whole mess associated with the tenant's rights to remain in that space and the value of warehouse distribution properties in the market, which is a really hot commodity. And what happens if somehow someone swoops in and buys that building and displaces our client as the tenant? And Alan is is kind of knee deep in that too. So I would defer to Alan for a little additional commentary on on this point. Yeah, I, uh, as a former banker, I've been expecting fallout 
uh, due to COVID uh, and bankruptcies. And I've been talking to all of our area lenders, big and small, about what their views are. So far, all the banks are in good shape. None of the banks have a lot of distressed loans on their books. However, they all anticipate that when the PPP programs uh, burn out and reality sets in, that there will be more bankruptcies. If anything, bankruptcies have been delayed. My experience in retail, particularly, is that January, February are the worst months. I haven't seen a lot of fallout yet in retail, but I just anticipate there's going to be uh, a lot of fallout. Hotel, motels are definitely uh, filing bankruptcies. Malls are being given back to lenders left and right. It's uh, wanting to be a different market by December. A lot of stress. Alan, this this one may be for you as well. What is your view on leased manufacturing space? So rather shifting away from office space, are there good opportunities to lower cost or upgrade here? The industrial market is very tight. That's the number one category when I talk to any bank, they'll finance industrial. It's just about all across the country, given the shift of retail to uh, uh, warehouse distribution and spokes uh, last mile. Newer facilities are in great demand and in short supply. It's very difficult in that class to extract any concessions other than you know, tenant retained, being retained. Some of the older buildings with low ceiling heights, dated you know, design, there may be opportunity there to, to work with a landlord to, to uh, improve your leasing situation. Alan, this is another one uh, maybe for you. Someone wrote, if I have three years left on a lease, what is the most effective way to negotiate a concession? Simply not pay, indicate we can't pay, or handle legally by default? I think you communicate with the landlord Tell them you need to restructure the lease. Three years is a long time. Most landlords are going to feel very confident that the market's going to stabilize within three years. But every landlord, of, uh, particularly in Class B buildings, want to keep tenants. Your building's only worth your rent roll. And the longer the terms of the rent roll is with uh, stable tenants, the more your building's worth. So every landlord... If they have an opportunity to extend a Bali tenant for additional years at a small capital cost, I think there's always a deal on the table. If you need a uh, concession to continue operations, you're going to have to present a, a very well thought out business strategy to uh, restructure your, your company, revamp operations to be a, a going concern. You're going to have to present a real problem. I know myself, I had many tenants come to me thinking they could take advantage of certain situations. And, you know, my answer always to them was, I have to pay my mortgage. I have to collect your rent. I have to understand the nature of your problem. I have to understand what you're doing. I can't just give a, uh, a concession to every tenant that comes to me. Yeah, I'd just like to, you know, uh, echo something there that uh, Alan has said to me many times is that whenever a tenant is approaching a landlord, they're in essence almost always approaching the lender as well. And so there are covenants that that landlord has as it relates to the loan. Oftentimes the landlord can't really act on its own without getting buy-in or approval from the lender. So 
to Alan's point, having the right story, you know, is imperative and approaching this in a way that you have to understand that to get something, you're going to probably have to give something. And in addition to that, one of the things that you may need to give is additional either recourse or securitization or collateralization of your lease. Otherwise, the landlord and in turn, the, the lender will just as soon take their chances and see what happens. Uh, so you have to have, I think, a thoughtful approach to uh, and not a, a not a bull headed approach to to working something out. Jim, maybe this question is I'll direct to you. My company is looking to reduce 20 percent footprint and have employees work from home. Finance is one of the top candidates for remote working. You looked at stipends to provide work from home employees. That's a really good question. Depending on the geography in which this question comes from, there are kind of built in work from home benefits for some of the employees. If you're in a wage tax environment where in the case of Philadelphia, we have a pretty significant wage tax for those employees who are coming into the city each day. So right off the bat, if those employees are working from home, they may be eligible for a waiver of that wage tax and would pick up three to four percent effective salary increase just through that alone. If your employees can truly be remote, there are also parts of the country that are incenting individuals to relocate. I'm thinking of Alabama and other places that are offering ten to $15,000 per household for those households to establish residence in certain counties in certain states. So the employer itself may not necessarily need to provide a stipend. Certainly, if, if an employer does, it's a very generous offer. But I would say, as an employer, look into other avenues that provide uplift to your employee, employee without it coming directly out of your own pocket. Jim, this one I'll direct to you as well. You and I have talked a lot about employees wanting to get back to the office, but this is a bit of a different perspective from this audience member my payroll procurement, accounts payable, accounts receivable, and financial reporting teams have worked more efficiently since last March while working from home, and nearly all expressed they want to continue to work from home for the majority of the time, coming into the office for team meetings. So in that scenario, what does that type of office look like since there will be no assigned desks? What would make the employees feel comfortable in an office setting that they go to only a couple of days a month? So some of our clients are wrestling with that issue as well. And what I'm hearing from those clients and tenants is the need to design and provide for several more uh, small meeting uh, spaces and or telephone and call areas where individuals can at least hunker down and be socially distant in a responsible way and be able to meet with their fellow employees and their colleagues in a way that doesn't pile a whole bunch of people into one large conference room. One of the design scenarios is significantly more kind of common space meeting, informal meeting spaces where people can be distant. That may include additional coffee stations, but that's a challenge. So that's all the time that we have. Thank you, audience, for submitting such thoughtful questions. And of course, thank you, Jim and Alan, for your time today. Very interesting discussion. A lot of variables, as you said, Jim. And so we really appreciate your insights. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.